And welcome back to Hardline. This is Kevin Hardwick. My guest this hour, the featured guest, is uh, Erie County Executive Mark Polenkars. I'm going to ignore him for a moment and introduce uh, Chris Horvatitz uh, from Channel 4, who's going to help me with the questioning, I'm sorry, the interrogation of Mark Polenkars. I, I, th- uh, I was told I was the featured guest. Well, well, listen, I do have a question for you. I, uh, I was watching you the other night on one of your newscasts on Channel 4, and uh, you were talking about the inability to land the debate for uh, the New York 27th between uh, Nate McMurray and Chris Collins, and you you just look so sad. Are you okay? (laughs) I'm surviving. I'm surviving. You you really wanted that debate, though. We do. Uh, Do you think there's any chance it'll come off in the final week? You know, it's still in the hands of Chris Collins' campaign. We're still now, waiting now for an there you answer. Go. You're sad again. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> here I get you up on a Sunday morning, and you're here. Let me turn my attention to uh, uh, County Executive Mark Polenkars. Mark, uh, I I do have to say you look terrible this morning. Um, you know, I, I you look like you haven't had any sleep. Is this because, you know, you've been up at nights worrying about those wily Republicans in the Erie County Legislature and what they're doing to you? Uh, well... Sitting next to a guy who's wearing a Red Sox jersey certainly hurts. Let, let, let the record know that that's Chris Horvatitz. Yes. Yes. It's I, and I want the record to also know that no, I would I, be wearing this whether they won or I, lost last uh, night. I, I, I hear that you stayed up for the entire 18 innings. I did. The I other stayed night. up the entire 18 innings. That was innings. dumb. I was, well, no, that was, it would have been dumb if the Dodgers had lost. For those of you who don't know, I'm a Dodger fan. I've been since I was a kid. One of the few Dodger fans in this area. And uh, most of Dodgers Nation is still in mourning after last night's game when our manager threw it away. Mm. Rich Hill, for the second year in a World Series, was pitching a masterpiece. Had only given up one hit through six and a third innings, a couple walks, and that's what he does. He gives up a couple hits here and there. And then Dave Roberts, using whatever brilliant strategy he came up with, took out Rich Hill, who was dominating the Red Sox, and put in two relievers, who were shaky at best in the prior games, and then put in Kenley Jansen to try to get six outs when Jansen is not the same guy as there was before. Let's just put it, there's a lot of folks who are calling for the firing of Dave Roberts. Chris Horvatitz, is that the way you see it? I was going to say, is that a Mark Polenkars rant? It sounded like a Bulldog rant down the hall at WGR almost. A a very tired (laughs) Bulldog. Don't get me started, as someone used to say in these studios. uh, Listen, um, (laughs) Mark, do you think that there's something – you know, my problem is not – I don't have a dog in this fight. I like both teams. But uh, what I have a problem with is the games that get over at three o'clock or whatever, and even even regular games get over at get over at midnight. I mean that's a, that's a problem. I think I think, uh, and it's not just it's not just baseball. It's Monday night football and Thursday night football and all that getting over at midnight. I mean you, you got to believe that productivity on the East Coast is uh, on a, on a morning following this is much worse than on the West Coast. And the other thing is, you know. What what little leaguer? You know, if you've got an eight or a ten year old kid and you want to interest them in baseball, they're not going to be staying up till 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 midnight. Yeah. You know, the game last night got over around nine o'clock on the West Coast. It got over around midnight here. Uh, forget about the three o'clock game. You know, which got over at midnight. You know, uh, out on the West. I mean, really, it, was, it is epic. Is it, there anything it, we can do? Can we pass a local law banning uh, a well, sports as, broadcast? As, as soon as we late? get our major league team here, then we probably <laughs> we, can we, do we'll it. We'll have a say in it. Okay, well, let's 
let's move on. And and this is uh, this has been a rough week, not necessarily for Erie County, but for the nation. We've had the pipe bond thing. We had the shooting in uh, in Pittsburgh yesterday. Uh, just horrific stuff, Mark. And I know that uh, you've been tweeting recently about uh, the need for more civility. Um, do you want to do you want to share some of your thoughts this morning with us? Yes. I mean, uh, you and I are from different political parties, but we've always gotten along. We've been able to talk our things through. We might not agree on everything, and there's a lot of things we don't always agree on, but we do it in a civil manner. And, and what, unfortunately, I've seen lately, and not just local politics but national, of course, for year, for the past few years now, is the, the inability for people to civilly discuss issues. Uh, and it, it starts at the top. It starts with local officials. It starts with state officials. And it also goes to media. Uh, I mean, for example, uh, I mean, this station will fan the flames of, of uh, with its opinion broadcasters uh, of things that then drive people out there who are probably mentally ill to begin with to believe this must be true. The gentleman who shot up the synagogue yesterday went in there specifically to shoot Jewish people because he's been reading on the Internet and hearing from other people and hearing from media sources that the Jewish folks associated with this refugee organization are bringing in people to invade and take over our country. And I hate to say it, but you've heard that in, in different times with guests and so forth on the station here. We all have a role. We, If something is false, it gets called out as false. It's not just something that has to be perpetuated continually. I, If I say something that is driving people to do something, I should be held responsible. Do you ever, do you, ever, do you find yourself, I mean, you're, you're very active on Twitter, and oftentimes you get into a Twitter war with some of the, the local Republican operatives here. Do you ever think, uh, pause and say, well, maybe I'm a little bit too snarky or maybe that's feeding I do. And I, the flames? I, as I, I try to avoid getting in those wars at all. And I have uh, on my social media pages, I have a rule. If you start calling names, if you start using foul language, I'm just going to delete your posts. Mm -hmm. And people are like, oh, you can't do that. I have a freedom of expression. I said, yes, you do. You do have freedom of speech. But you don't have it on my page. What, one of the and, things, and if you're going to go out there and you're going to start swearing at people, calling them names, I mean, we can we can, we can debate the issues. Mark, one of the things we can't I, do it in a matter Mark, where we're destroying each to, other. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about this morning was uh, my, my plan was to talk to you about your budget and the priorities in the budget. Let me kind of back into this by by mentioning something that you've talked about already. When we talk about this this mentally ill person who, uh, well, we probably had a couple of them this week. Yes. One of them with the pipe one. bombs and the other with the uh, the shooting in Pittsburgh. But you do have mentally ill people out there. And especially after a shooting, we always have the battle about gun control. And everybody says, you know, well, we should ban guns or we shouldn't do this, Second Amendment. And everybody seems to agree, however, that we should help the mentally ill, that we don't, you know, we need to, we, you know, that mental illness is the problem, but we ought not have mentally ill people perpetrating these crimes. And we ought to do more. But then push comes to shove uh, when it comes to setting aside resources for the mentally ill. And, and you know, we want to save money and we don't we want to cut taxes or keep taxes low. And, and I guess my question to you is, um, you know, in the past few years, we've poured a lot of money into a problem that we saw and maybe we were late to the table uh, to for, you know, for, for our own people. But we've been a leader in the nation. That's the opioid problem. Do you think that we do enough for the mentally ill? Is there more that we at the county level could do for, you know, to help with this problem? Well, without wading into the gun control debate, I mean, let's just talk about well, the mentally ill. Without talking about gun control, and you know where I stand on that as it I, pertains to AR-15s. But uh, mental illness is not an easy thing to identify. 
Uh, and it also requires family members, friends to say, hey, this guy's got a problem and, and we need help. Uh, the, the problem is it appears this gentleman has a social media page and was basically telegraphing what he was going to do for some time now. And he would go to social media pages that say the same thing. Now, you and I are old enough to remember when you wanted to communicate back in the old days, like pre-social media, if you wanted to communicate with someone else who felt the same way as you, you did it through newsletters. It wasn't this constant barrage of where you could go exactly to a place where you're in this echo chamber and hearing the same thing. So you have that to deal with today. And then you have individuals who obviously are taking this so much to heart that they're acting, whether it's Mr. Sayak, who, of course, is... Uh, have been accused of a crime with regards to the bombs that were sent to uh, 14 individuals. And this gentleman yesterday who, who killed 11 individuals, uh, they, they have issues. But it's not, I don't think that's going to happen if we weren't in a society where you can pick and choose and hear exactly what you want to hear, including every conspiracy theory, and then react to it. Uh, and and that didn't happen in the past. I, I, there, was, there was a great, I just want to finish this, but there was a great uh, a point put out about how there have been more mass shootings in the United States in the last 10 years than there had been in the century before. And a lot of it has to do with these individuals dealing and hearing in echo chambers where they hear the same thing over and over and over and over to the point that they may not have dealt, done that 50 years ago, 30 years ago, because those echo chambers did not exist. And I share many of those same sentiments. Uh, but I guess what I'm, what I'm asking is, I mean, this could happen in, in Erie County. I mean, there, oh, but for the grace of God, go we. We've got someone running around apparently throwing fake bombs at post offices and police precincts and Erie, locally. Erie County is involved and, in that. And, and you trying wonder, to resolve, uh, trying to, obviously we're not going to be able to, you and I, change what's going on. Uh, you've got First Amendment considerations, obviously, uh, with, with, with TV and radio stations. But what what can we do in in county government? Uh, does well, the, do, is there something that we can do about dealing with the mentally ill. Well, you have First Amendment concerns, of course, but you also have a responsibility. This radio station, other media, Chris's uh, station, they have responsibilities to also say, you know, we, we got to be careful in what we we allow. And, and we're constantly allowing the regurgitation of conspiracy theories and things that have been proven false. That's not good for the greater society. We then in Erie County government are left to trying to say, how do we help these individuals who have mm -hmm. obvious issues? And as I started with saying, the, the government does not go in there contrary to what some people have said and know exactly what you're thinking and doing. We often rely on the family members to turn in these individuals. Remember, the Unabomber was turned in by his brother, and it's up and incumbent upon family and friends when they see someone who's doing this saying, this guy's got an issue, this guy's got a problem, I need to let local mental health professionals as well as local law enforcement know that he's just posted on his his page that he's going to go take action because he's sick of people invading our country and it's up to him now to save our country. That's a, that's a threat that needs to be taken seriously. The, the problem with that is that a lot of people probably aren't trained to recognize those signs and symptoms. So how do you work against that? Well, you have to realize that whether you're trained or not, when someone makes a statement that appears to be a threat against another individual, you got to take it seriously. There's no doubt in today's day and age it's taken seriously. Uh, I can tell you that even in Erie County government, we get nasty mail pieces, nasty phone calls. And, and so do and, we at yeah, Channel 4. And, and if we get threats, and there have been threats made against me and others, we'll let the sheriff's office know and someone will knock on that person's door from the sheriff's office saying, did you make this threat against County Executive Polling Cars? 
And they're like, uh, I was just joking. Well, it's not a joke. It, you can't take it as a joke. The gentleman who sent the pipe bonds allegedly stated to law enforcement before he talked to an attorney that he didn't mean to harm anybody, which is basically admission that he did it. Doesn't mean if he didn't mean to harm him or not. He sent through the mails uh, devices that could have exploded or could have hurt a postal worker, could have hurt someone. The, the, the package that was opened at the Soros residence was not opened by Mr. Soros. It was opened by one of his... Uh, cleaning staff. You know, poor cleaner would have been killed if this thing had gone off. So I think what we have to realize is that, yes, there's a First Amendment right to say what you want, and not everyone's trained to identify mental illness. But when someone's making a threat and doing something like this, we have to take it seriously, and everyone else needs to, because look at the society we're in today. Mass shootings, unfortunately, have become commonplace in our nation, whether, whether they're politically motivated or not. And they should never become uh, commonplace in our country. We're, Never. We're, we're talking this morning with County Executive uh, Mark Polenkars, also Chris Horvatitz from Channel 2, or Channel 2, sorry. Oh boy. Whoa, whoa, boy. Whoa, boy. Channel 4, along for the ride. <laughs> That's uh, the second time today you've that done that, by the, the way. That is the second time I've done that. In fact, if, if Mark wasn't listening earlier, I said we were going to have uh, Erie County Executive Chris, Chris Collins. Collins. Oh! Then I caught myself. All right. This is our last show. And I haven't been up till three in the morning watching baseball every night this week. We need to take a break. I need to take a break. When we return, when we return, Mark Polenkars, Chris Orvada, still in studio. I'm Kevin Hardwick, I think. You're listening to Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. And welcome back to Hardline. This is Kevin Hardwick. Chris Horvatitz from Channel 4 is helping me, helping me with the questioning of County Executive Mark Polenkars. Mark, uh, let's let's move on to the uh, county budget that you recently unveiled. You know, I tell my students at Canisius College that a budget is a policy document. That in the in the document in the budget, you you put your money where your mouth is. It's one th- thing to say that this is important or that's important, but in a budget, you put your money uh, behind that. You set your priorities. If we uh, if if someone were to look at uh, your recently uh, released executive budget for 2019, what would they conclude that your priorities were in this new budget? Well, I mean, that, I think a budget, as you say, it is, is very important because it, too often people look at it as dollars and cents on a spreadsheet. What, how much does it cost? Things like that. What's the tax rate going to be? But it, it really is, and I look at it as it should be a, a tool to be used to address common sense solutions in your community. How do you fix problems? So we've got money set aside in many different areas from, of course, investing in our road and bridges to addressing the poverty problem, which exists all across Erie County, not just in the city, but in the rural areas. Uh, we, of course, are continuing to do investments in our parks, uh, in, our, in our wonderful parks department that we have. Most people don't realize it, but the, you could fit every one of the city of Buffalo Olmstead parks plus an extra 200 acres in Chestnut Ridge Park alone because it's such a big park, and that's a 1,250-acre park, and we own and control more than 10,000 acres of parks. So you have to invest in your parks. We have 1,200 centerline miles of roads, 2,400 lane miles. That's the equivalent of driving, if it was one lane, from Buffalo to the Pacific Ocean. So you continue to invest in those. Uh, We put some money aside this year to address issues of poverty and health and human services, such as I have a a quarter of a million dollars in there to help with what is now determined to be a cancer cluster on the east side of Buffalo and the west side of Cheektowaga. Uh, some of the highest cancer rates uh, in all of New York State. So we're putting uh, $250,000 in 
to help with uh, identifying and letting people know that the cancer cluster exists and offering additional screening because we offer free screening services for people to check to see if they have cancer. So I, when, you, when you do a budget, it's a big budget because county government it provides a lot of services to the general public, $1.5 billion of operating, $1.7 in total. So it's a big budget. But you have to look and say, okay, how are you spending it in a way that's going to benefit the community? And we have a number of programs in there, like the ones I've described, which I think generally benefit the entire community and address specific issues that may not matter in one part of the community but matter in others. Chris Horvaditz uh, from Channel 4 has a question. And you also have in there a lot of money for a lot of cultural things, which you have called in the past people's mandates. Why do you call them people's mandates? Well, the vast majority of Erie County's budget is for state mandates and federal mandates. And the pe- what people want, like the libraries, the parks, the arts and cultural institutions, uh, our rodent control program to deal with rats and uh, across Erie County, I call those the people's mandates because they're not mandated by state and federal government, but the public want them. So what you have to re- remind yourself is that what people think government is, is not always what government provides and does. So we have a $1.5 billion budget, uh, but only about $120 million of that is for the things that the public wants, like libraries, like supporting the zoo, like supporting uh, institutions that we all benefit from, like the Museum of Science. So what we do is we go out there and, and we ensure that the people's mandates are met. And you know what one of the other people's mandates is? It's roads and bridges. So that's not necessarily mandated. There's no mandate we have to spend, but we have a responsibility to it. People want it. So what we do is we ensure that we invest in those people's mandates over the state mandates and federal mandates that are often health and human services programs, which benefit the whole community anyway. And as, you- as, a, as a Republican member of the Erie County Legislature, I was, uh, I was falling asleep, but I, I perked up <laughs> when I heard you mention roads and bridges because, of course, Republicans are interested oh, primarily you care in, about in health roads and human because, services too, because, Kevin. I know you. No, no, I know. You got a little liberal in be, you. Because, well, because, because quite frankly, it's, it's the Republican districts in the suburbs and the rural areas where the roads are. Because city of Buffalo, my city of Tonawanda, city of Lackawanna don't have county and, roads. And specifically, Kevin, your colleague John Mills, when the budget proposal was released, uh, came out with a statement expressing concern that there wasn't enough money in there for, for roads and bridges in his district. Well, that's a concern of mine also. It's, it's the same thing John has said over the years. And when John was chairman of the legislature, he had an opportunity to put in more money. He didn't really sit down with me. And I'll, I'll, the one thing I will say, uh, we have a capital budget process, which goes on in the summer, and we determine what roads and bridges we're going to do the following year. Uh, and, and if John was really worried about it, he could have attended the capital budget process and advocated for certain things. He didn't. But that's the process we have. The, the minority leader, Legislator Larigo, was there, and he advocated for things. I know Legislator Hardwick, in conversations I've had with him, uh, advocates for certain roads. But we're not all about roads. Uh, the vast majority of uh, things that are provided by county government are health and human services to ensure that people can live healthy, not just have one road be Okay, uh, that'll have to be the last word for this half hour. When we come back after Neil McManus in the news, we'll have more with Mark Polencars, uh, Erie County Executive, Chris Horvaditz from Channel 4. Uh, Neil McManus standing by for the news. I'm Kevin Hardwick. You're listening to Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. And welcome back to the show. Kevin Hardwick here, sitting here with uh, 
County Executive Mark Polenkar is also Chris Horvatitz from Channel 4. Uh, listen, before we get to calls, and if you do want to start lining up, the number to call, 803-0930, 803-0930. We won't get to them this segment, but the final segment hopefully will squeeze in a few. Listen, let's talk about uh, a couple of things in the news recently. Uh, the Convention Center study finally done. A uh, couple sites uh, looked at, uh, and uh, and basically the conclusion was what we have now, uh, you said it yourself, if we're going to stay in the Convention Center business, and that's one decision, but if we do say yes, we want to stay in the Convention Center, you say we're going to need a new Convention Center. Yeah, the review, which wasn't totally surprised to come up with a response that said it was functionally obsolete. The Convention Center was built in the late 70s. It was built in the old bunker style of architecture that was familiar. Buffalo City Court and the Convention Center were built in that type of imposing look. Uh, and while there's been some interior support or changes that have been done, and the legislature has supported those, like my office, uh, it's still an old, small, and antiquated facility. So the consultant basically said, not only is it functionally obsolete, but because it's functionally obsolete, you're going to continue to lose business. You might get the auto show still. You might get the home show for the local things. But folks from out of the area are not going to want to come here. And I can confirm that because I get the reports on what the business that is attempted to be received by the, the visit, Visitors Bureau and Convention Center organization. And repeatedly, they have lists of who's come, who's done site tours, and then who's canceled saying, no, we're not going to be here because we don't like the facility. So we have to make a decision as a community, are we going to stay in the convention center business? Because if we uh, stay at the current facility, we're basically seeding more and more business to out-of-area uh, locations. So we have through uh, this December, we're taking comments on the county's website through the Department of Environment Planning page to see what the public wants. You can read the report. It's a comprehensive report that does an analysis not only of our convention center but makes comparisons to other areas that are our peer group. So we're not comparing ourselves against Chicago and New York. We're comparing ourselves against Grand Rapids, Michigan, Hartford, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, regional ones. And we basically have the oldest convention center and one that is functionally obsolete and doesn't meet the needs of conventioners now. But we want to hear from the public. So go to erie.gov and voice your opinion. The, the, the two sites that were identified, the, basically the current site with some modifications to it, making it, making it uh, footprint, footprint bigger, and the site closer to the, well, down near the arena, closer to the waterfront. Both of them have their advantages and their disadvantages. Now, I know that uh, for, for a time there, the consultant wanted to look at a, a third site. Uh, that never happened. The legislature never approved the uh, the request to uh, give the consultant a little bit more money. Are, are you at liberty to talk about where that third site would have been? Or, or I know that you know where it is. Would that have uh, alleviated some of the some of the problems that we see with the two sites? I mean, this tension between yeah, the, the, it, it's it's nice down near the water, but uh, the hotels are up here near the current one, and and we can't just cut them loose. Well, the third site is the one that would have rated next on the list of the finalists, so mm -hmm. to speak, or maybe I should say semi-finalists. There's about six sites that were thrown in as kind of semi-finalists in downtown Buffalo. And uh, the, the next site, I believe, was the area in the Oak Elm uh, Arterial, uh, where there's parking lots, there's a county-owned building. Mm -hmm. And it in itself would have, in some ways, it's not perfect because it's a very thin site. It has some of the problems that exist with the current facility, that it's, it's not doesn't have the big enough footprint. But we could have made it much bigger than the current one. 
we never got a chance to look and see those other issues because the legislature didn't approve the amendment that we wanted to see. So now we're down with two sites, the one that's near the waterfront and the other one that would be uh, a new building uh, plus renovation of the existing one in which it's not one complete footprint. It's kind of two separate It wouldn't buildings. be as big, and you wouldn't have the opportunity to expand that you would Correct. down near the waterfront. W- well, if we built Chris, it there, we're locked. Chris, Chris Horvatitz has a question. You've told me in the past that uh, maybe this is putting the cart before the horse a little bit, but you told me that if we are going ahead with this, you'd expect some state funding to uh, be kicked in, as has happened in other upstate cities for a convention center. Have you talked with Governor Cuomo about that? Uh, I have not talked directly with Governor Cuomo. I've spoken to many members of his administration, uh, and, and their response is, well, we're interested, but until you've got something more definitive, we, we really don't have anything to support. And I understand that. I deal with that and this locally. I have people say, hey, we want you to support this project. And I'm like, do you have a project? Or do you have something you'd like to do, but that's not necessarily a project? So the state has shown an interest, but to the point where it, to say that they're going to give us a certain amount of money, no, they're not, they're not at okay. that point yet because we don't have a plan. And we need to have a plan before here's what we want to do, and then we go sort of hat in hand to state. Can, can, can you have these discussions about a big-ticket item like the convention center without simultaneously considering what you're going to do about the Bill Stadium? Not that you have to have them combined, the projects combined, but if you're talking about two big projects, simultaneously it's a lot you, of money yeah in a you, you can't do that in a vacuum can you no you can't do it in a vacuum but they are separate projects everyone says oh well, i say everyone let me backtrack here. there are people who are out there and saying well you got to combine them and then you talk to the experts and they're like you really don't want to combine them mm-hmm. uh for various reasons including the football team wants to control the stadium and everything that goes on in it so if you combine them together then you have a convention center that's partially controlled but- by a football team that is not going to want a convention coming into town during football season and, and using their location. So there's a lot of other things that, 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 that you but, need to remember as part of the conversation, and that's why you can have these discussions separately. But much like much like your budget and where you deal with competing priorities simultaneously, you know, you'd like, you'd like to throw more in for roads, but if you do that, you'd either have to raise taxes or take money from something else. And so you, you, you make choices. I mean, do you not have to do a mini version of that with the stadium and the convention center? I mean, we'd love the, uh, the, 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 the big dome stadium and we'd love the big convention center, but you know, we we're probably going to have to have to make some accommodation somewhere. Well, they are separate. Uh, and right now, if there was a demand from the football team to be, we want a new stadium, then maybe you'd have that, but they're not. The football team is not demanding a new stadium. Uh, they're quite content where they are. Uh, they're investing. They invested $18 million this past year, and they're, gonna, they're currently starting another $18 million project at the facility. So if, if the football team was holding a gun to our head saying, build us a new stadium or we're leaving, then maybe you could have those two together, but they're not, and they are separate. Uh, they're, they're, even though it's been done in a couple other communities, there's also some debate as to whether that it actually has benefited those communities as much as we would like it to, to benefit them. So I think it is a separate conversation, and as a result, that's how we've been moving forward. Before we go to break, let's squeeze in one more issue, and that's the report of the Salary Review Commission. Uh, they're recommending uh, for three countywide offices, including yours, uh, pay raises. They're saying that the county clerk and the county legislators are, are fine where they are. Um, I assume that sometime in the not-too-distant future, the county legislature will, uh, will take this up. What would you recommend to them? Do you want to raise, Mark? Do <laughs> you yeah. want more money? <laughs> well, I think the public needs to understand that the, elect, the elected officials in Erie County, other than the district attorney, have not had a raise since 1998. 
And uh, there are quite a number of staff that work under me that make more money than me, just like the same as the comptroller, same as the sheriff. Uh, and and it, it, it sends a bad message when you're saying that you, because you're an elected official, you're never going to get a raise. There hasn't been a raise since 1998. It's an independent body with Democrats and Republicans, and I think an independent that was on the Citizen Salary Review Commission. They did an analysis and a comparison of the salaries of the elected officials in Erie County compared to other upstate counties, not Nassau County, not Suffolk County on Long Island, but Onondaga County and Syracuse and Monroe and Rochester. And the general consensus from the members, including Lou Panzica, who's a was the former board chair of the Buffalo Niagara Partnership, is it, I can't believe you're working for that little. I can't believe your deputy county executive makes $50,000 more than you do. That would never happen in the private sector. And as a result, they made a recommendation that I think is a fair recommendation because they did an average. They said the clerk and the legislature are already making above average, while the sheriff, the county executive, and the county comptroller are dramatically underpaid. And they don't recommend going to a much higher level. They just they recommended a small increase. And, sure. I, and, and my personal belief, and yeah, I have a personal interest in this, but my belief is you should pay these people for a commensurate salary because these are not easy jobs. The comptroller is the chief financial officer for a $1.7 billion entity. The sheriff, the sheriff makes sixty dollars to $70,000 less than com- police chiefs in our society, in our community, and the sheriff runs two jails and has hundreds and hundreds of employees. Should, it's, should, it's unfair. It should be noted that we would not be uh, giving you a raise necessarily. We'd be budgeting no. for the position. Correct. There'd have to be an election in between. You would have to get reelected to get that raise if that, we voted for that, it. That's a big difference from last time the Citizen Salary Review Commission made. So if the legislature votes for these raises, I would not get it next year. The sheriff would not get it next year. It would not take effect until the next executive is seated, whether it's me or someone else, whether it's Sheriff Tim Howard or someone else. Same thing with Comptroller Mahilu. So that's a big difference that I think makes it a much more palatable, I hope, in the eyes of the legislature view. Quick follow-up from Chris Horvatitz, then we need to go to break. So how do we get to this point where <clears throat> you end up dramatically underpaid compared to Maria White, you, you referenced, for instance, in your commissioners? How, how, how did we get to the point where there has been no e- increase, even with uh, inflation, over the past 20 years? Well, back in the 90s, uh, they passed the Citizen Salary Review Law, in which it used to be a decision between the county executive and the legislature. And what they generally did is if the white-collar employees, the CSEA employees, got a 2% raise, then the elected officials got a 2% raise. And it's really a fair way to do it because then no one's getting any more than anyone else. So why wasn't it set up in a way back in the 90s for— I know exactly why, because the elected officials back then, and neither I nor Kevin were elected Mm -hmm. in these positions back then, they wanted raises, but they didn't want to look like they were voting for raises in their election year. So they passed this law, they created the commission, which gave them the raises they wanted, and then, okay, it since then has never been increased because two people were too afraid to say I would accept a raise that was recommended by the people of this community. It's it's a bad system, but that's the system we have. And it should be noted that under the commission's report proposal, uh, there would be annual increases if it is passed, of course, and if the legislature agrees to it, there would be annual Correct. increases which tied is, in with a CPI. Which it should be, because then it ends the question. Then it's done. 
then we, the elected officials, when they run for office in the future, they know, okay, I'm not going to get a big raise, but if, if it's a 2% raise that the white-collar people are getting, mm-hmm. 2% raise is fair for me, too. We, we have to take a break. When we come back, we'll get to your calls for Mark Poland Cars. Uh, number to call, 803-0930, 803-0930. One more segment with Mark and Chris Horvatitz of Channel uh, 4. Thank you. I'm... I'm Kevin Hardwick. You're listening to Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Welcome back to Hardline. Kevin Hardwick here. One more segment with Erie County Executive uh, Mark Polakars. Also, uh, Chris Horvatitz of Channel 4. Thank you, Chris. I keep trying to. Send him over to two. I'm sure uh, two would make out well with that. Yeah, one. my boss. Uh, Chris I'm sure would love doing that. A, doing a nice job here. Anyway, we'll take your calls at eight zero three zero nine thirty now for uh, for Mark Poland cars. Let's go first to uh, let's go first to Sergio in Williamsville. Sergio, thank you for holding. Thank you for taking my call. First of all, uh, County Executive, uh, I should totally support your position about keeping the stadium. And the convention center issue is totally separate because it confuses people. Secondly, I think that, as you know, probably from some of my past letters, I'm very supportive of expanding our convention industry in this area. We are so fortunate to be so close to one of the world's biggest attractions, Niagara Falls, which so many of our other cities do not have that we can use to bring a lot of conventioners here and bring a lot of new outside money into our community and expand our economy. Uh, I think a, a part of a small part of uh, paying for it would be an additional tax on restaurants and hotels that would benefit uh, greatly from all the additional people coming into our community. Uh, I do believe that we do need a whole uh, new, a new facility and not uh, try to uh, modernize our existing facility, I think we'd be the laughing stock. Uh, a, a chamber person from Pittsburgh told me a while back that Buffalo is not even on the map for conventions. Uh, I was wondering, is there going to be any hearings or any of a type good. so people could have an interest? Sure. Good, good question. Thank you, Sergio. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you go, and you can listen to Mark's answer online. Yes, uh, there's a public comment period. Yes, uh, thank you, Sergio. I think that was Sergio Fornicero who actually wrote a letter recently to the Buffalo News. Uh, Sergio is involved in a, a business community locally, and I just thank him for his comments. We do have public comment period through December that you can specifically put your comments in writing to the county, and they'll be part of the, the record. I know the legislature has had a uh, hearing in which people from the department has kind of come over and talked about the issue. Uh, we're going to certainly uh, consider this very closely because it, it is a very important decision for the community. One thing that Sergio noted that uh, we have that other areas don't have and, and what site selectors like coming here for conventions is we have Niagara Falls. It's one of the wonders of the world. And uh, Pittsburgh doesn't have that. Cleveland, Grand Rapids has a nice little uh, river with uh, little beautiful falls, but it's not Niagara Falls. And so we have to, as a community, come up with a, a, a good decision uh, that's based on analysis as well as public comment. And that's what we're doing now. And, and I appreciate Sergio's comment. And if you do care about it that much, you should go to our website and specifically post your comment, and, and it will be considered. Very good. Uh, let's go next to Tony and Clarence. Tony, thank you for holding. 
Yeah, uh, first of all, I'll make a quick point. The, the county executive was very much on t- topic in the first part of the discussion this morning. There is no diversity in radio in this area. There isn't a single progressive uh, station that you can listen to. We are being brainwashed by 740 stations that Rush Limbaugh and... Tony, Tony, if I can just, just interject here. I mean, not too long ago, the, the intercom group did have just down the hall from us a, a liberal-oriented radio station, and they had people like Stephanie Miller and the like on there, and it just, for, for whatever reason, talk radio doesn't do as well on, on the liberal end of the spectrum. I'll, I'll get to the economic part. Okay. The county executive Mitchell, Mitch, you know Mitch McConnell has said that they're going to cut Medicaid and Medicare because they have driven up the budget deficit of over $850 billion in a in year and a half in this Tony, administration. Tony, Tony, can we bring it back to Erie County for a minute? I mean, do you have a question for the county executive? Because we have other people holding. Well, I'll just I'll, I'll sort of take Tony's statement and, and turn it into a, a question because he is making a, a valid point with regards to the federal deficit and the impact it has. And now there's representatives in Washington who are talking about cutting programs like Medicaid, Social Security, and Medicare. Well, Medicaid is a program that provides to more than uh, 10% of the population in Erie County their health care. And if that was cut by the federal government, guess who's going to have to pick up the, the bag? Erie County and Erie County taxpayers. Well, isn't, isn't it the state? Isn't it capped? Uh, I mean, the well, hard, isn't there a hard cap now? Then the you unless know, the state changes their legislation, you know, just as soon as I, harmless. Kevin, that if it if it, the state increases that, we're going to be stuck. I mean, if the federal government increases the local share, we're going to get stuck because that's what the state has done in the past. There is a cap now that's based on the CPI index, and it has helped us. I'm not going to deny that. But if you're starting to cut these programs uh, with regards to providing. Uh, Social Security for retirees, well, we have a senior services department that has to deliver home hot-cooked meals to people because they don't have enough money to do it on their own. So those are issues that we would get hurt in the long run. Got it. Got about three and a half minutes left. I'm going to take one more call, and then I'm going to actually give Chris Horvatitz a chance for the final question of the day because he brought in some brownies for us. He actually brought, brought in for in us, for but I'm, I'm bringing him home. It's a team. It's it's for the team. They were. I had a, I had a World Series watch party last it, night, and not oh, as many people oh, showed yeah. up as I thought. Wow. So I okay, so you didn't make them special for the show. <laughs> let's let's go to Drew in Buffalo. Drew, time for a quick question. Uh, I hope you can give a quick answer, uh, Mark. You did a great job pointing out. Uh, some of the extremist rhetoric that gets echoed and repeated and fed on this station. And, uh, Kevin, if you want to answer this question. Sure. My, I'm wondering, when i time good people that believe in truth to disaffiliate from WBN as long as they keep putting these voices on? Well, I'll add that uh, I have a... I've tried to avoid showing up on some of those programs and have been not been on those programs in years, basically, because I don't feel it's a fair place. Kevin's is fair. And Kevin and I have a relationship in government where we can talk this through. And I do think it's important that these be talked, at least in a fair manner. But uh, you, I think you know the people I'm talking about that are Monday through Friday, and I just don't feel that um, that point of view will ever be br- brought up, so I won't show on those you, shows. You, you know, you know, I, I, I think that uh, there are plenty of opportunities for, for discussion. I mean, that's, that's, that's what this show is about. 
Uh, I think that uh, on the uh, Monday through Friday on this uh, this show, certainly there's a conservative bent. There's no question about it. But as I indicated there earlier to an earlier caller, there were you know just down the down the hall from here, there used to be a station that was just on the opposite side of it. And conservatives tend to gravitate towards talk radio, and I think they ought to have an opportunity to to be able to call in and voice their opinion. Um, you know, I've been uh, done a lot of soul searching the last couple of years. I mean, I'm I'm here. Uh, you know, people say, well, why don't you become a Democrat or why don't you go over there? You know, if you're upset with a lot of the the the, the discussion and I say, you know, I'm, I'm here to fight for the heart and soul of, of my party. I'm not going to switch uh, switch parties like that. And I feel the same way about this show. I think this show we do our best to hear both sides every week, as Mark indicates. Thank you for the call, though, and thank you for the observation. Uh, I, I said I'd give Chris and Lou, or in, in exchange for these brownies, a chance to ask the final question of the day. Chris, you, uh, take your best swing. Well, I want to go off the path a little bit. This not a county issue, but something that's on everybody's mind. Uh, tonight, 60 Minutes is going to have a special on the Buffalo Diocese. Yes. Several Public officials, people in your party, Kathy Hochul, for instance, have called on Bishop to uh, the bishop to resign uh, over everything that's going on. Would you join in that chorus calling on him to resign? And what in, do you make in of that? In thirty entire? seconds. Well, I have a little bit different role because, of course, the Erie County District Attorney's Office is involved in an investigation. So I'm trying to avoid there anything that would look like that there is a, a an impartiality issue with regards to the investigation. I have spoke to the bishop in the past. Uh, he knows my disappointment with regards to where everything stands. Uh, I commended Siobhan O'Connor for coming out and being a whistleblower. It wasn't easy for her, but uh, this is a horrible, horrible black stain on the history of the Buffalo Diocese. I'm a Roman Catholic. Uh, I'm probably not the, the best Roman Catholic when it comes to attending church, but this bothers me gravely. Uh, but I also have to be careful as a leader of Erie County to make it don't don't make it look like there's it's, a problem with impartiality. It's, it, Chris brings up a good point. It's must see TV tonight. On, yes, on, seven o'clock on, on Channel, Channel Four. 4 yes, Channel, okay. Anyway, that's uh, that's the show today. I want to thank uh, Mark Polencars, Chris Horvatis for being here. Thank you for listening. I'm Kevin Hardwick. You've been listening to Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN.